Welcome to The Renegade Economist with your host, Carl Fitzgerald. And this week, a recording from Philip Anderson's presentation on how to simplify government. So let's get straight into this top-level presentation. I happen to think there's practically almost no hope for humanity under present conditions if we don't get rid of government. That's, that's, that's the premise, really. So it always comes back to the three things that produce wealth. So if you're listening to this on the tape after we've done all this, you end up, there's three things that produce wealth. You need, you need land, labour and capital. So if you're listening to this, you probably should write it down so you can look, have a look at it. That produces wealth. If you own, well, with your own labour, you get a return on that, which is generally called wages. If you own your capital equipment, really is what it is, capital equipment, you tend to get a, um, a return on that, which is profit, for want of a better word. If you own land, it's called rent, economic rent. So they're the basic terms. I'm not going to go through and try and describe them or define them as an economist uh, would necessarily. Three things you need to produce wealth. So if you just have a look all around you, the windows, the roof, the floor, the building itself, you can't do it, you can't do it without, without those three things, land, labour and capital. The premise in one sense starts from a question that some people ask, a lot of people don't. Actually, who created the land or who created the earth? Now, I guess if you're a religious person, you'll say, you'll say that God created it, which is fair enough. If you're not religious, certainly the best you can say is, you and I didn't, because it was here before we got here. So I, I think this is generally indisputable. These days, it's widely believed and it's accepted as part of the economic paradigm that the land can be owned by you and me in perpetuity. Why would you want to bother owning the land? Well, you bother owning it because it gives you a return. And so you can, you can rent that land out or the house on top of it, you can rent it out to somebody else who will pay you a return for living there or occupying that space. A good analogy is to describe what you've probably all seen, which is the product called the big issue. People seen that, people on the street selling um, the big issue. This started in San Francisco and it started with two guys and it was a genuine, it was a genuine attempt by these two guys to put people back to work. They'd seen a lot of homeless guys they, and men and women, they'd been on the streets. So these, these two enterprising guys thought, how are we going to put some of them back together, back to work? They came up with the idea of selling a magazine. They called it the big issue. And so they decided that if they could get people to sell, produce a good magazine, get people to sell it on street corners and, and around about the CBD and other areas, they could get paid for doing the selling and they'd, begin, they'd get back into employment and the, the selling of the magazines was never intended by the two owners to be a, a permanent job. It was meant as a, as a roadmap and as a stepping stone to get them back into the workforce and then onto further employment and back into the swing of working things. A funny thing happened on the way to the big issue, which was never taken account of, 
And in San Francisco, as you can well imagine, the guys selling the magazine discovered very, very quickly a very simple fact. It is, in fact, what you could call, or what I would call, a natural law. This simple fact is totally ignored by the economics profession. Some people in planning and spatial planners and geographers, some people, they finally get it. But it comes down to location. The, the first sellers of the big issue, they noticed that it was, it was blindingly obvious to them after the first couple of minutes working that if taking it, and we'll try and bring it back to the Melbourne example rather than San Francisco Street, if you try and sell the big issue outside this building in North Melbourne, as distinct from if you tried to sell the big issue magazine on the corner of Burke and Swanston, is it not obvious you would sell more magazines at the corner of Burke and Swanston, yes? Well, it stands to reason. It's, it's blindingly obvious. Now, of course, you might, if you were standing outside this office building, you'd probably get all of the Prosper people when they're coming and going. They'd certainly buy a magazine from you because they understand what the whole process is going. But you wouldn't sell very many. So, in San Francisco, the, the, the workers, the sellers of the big issue, realised that you had to get to, to the corner of the CBD, say Mission and 24, something like that, where the train station is, you had to get there first and stake out your territory. And so it became a dogfight and a bunfight with knives and guns to get the best territory. Why? Because you earned more for the same amount of labour. And this fact is totally, totally blindside economists. They simply cannot put it into their model. But absolutely everything starts from that observation because you want to get the best location. So people fight for the best location or they fight for what the best locations got. So Americans, they still haven't worked out why God put all the oil underneath Saudi Arabia. The Saudi Arabians, the Wahhabis there, they think the oil, they think Muhammad put it there, so it's theirs. So we go to war to fight for the proceeds. We are fighting for the rent, what we're fighting for. Now, I've just got a couple of items here just to give you just to give you an idea, you know this already, I'm stating the obvious, but I just want to drive it home a little bit. So we have now the sort of place we live on planet Earth, this is what we do. This is what everybody on the Earth does. Investors are grabbing farmland and they're buying lots of it. So the big money, the big fund managers, and the, here the, the Canada Pension Plan, they're buying a whole heap of the Saskatchewan Prairie. Why? Because they want the farmland, because it's productive. It's an investment. It's not a farm to them. It's become an investment. So you know that already. We've got the situation where the Saudis, last year, they gave a donation to the Malaysian political party, of which Mr Najib has apparently stolen $1 billion. Now, I'll, I'm not going to go through all that. I'll, I'll let the... You can read all about it if you want, but but it's talking about this. This is the headline of the Wall Street Journal that was just when was it? It was um, March the second. Deposits into the personal account of Malaysia's prime minister totaled more than one billion. 
hundreds of millions more than was previously identified and global investigators believe much of it originated with the Malaysian state fund. Hello? Yes? It's oil money, that's basically what it is. A lot of money. You get a situation today, because we fight for the rent, because the land has been privatised. You get a situation where the banks, HSBC, because it's all been fined with all what it's been doing in the US, has come clean. It's revealed it faces another potentially damaging US investigation, this time over hiring people linked to government officials in Asia. Well, hello. Well, why wouldn't you? The bank would be dumb if it didn't, because it needs access to government. Why? The bank is a government-granted licence. So it has to go to government for its function. If the bank wants to expand, it has to talk to government. So it gets friendly with government officials. This lends itself to corruption. Needless to say, if you've been following the state Liberal Party, when the state Liberal Party here in 2012 rezoned Fisherman Bend, and they rezoned it from, what was it, from industrial, they, found, they rezoned it into commercial and building and so you could build upwards. Hello, who, are, who had just bought half the land about a year before? The people within the treasury of the Liberal Party. Do people care? They don't seem to. But you've got property there that have gone up, you know, $7 million properties now worth $70 million. This is a lot of money and it goes to the owner. Now this is significant. This process is significant because the land starts with a valuation, started as farmland, then it can become housing or it can become industrial, so the value goes up. So it was valued prior to the rezoning at $7 million. When it's rezoned, the owner gets the $70 million. He's going to sell for $70 million to a buyer that wants to develop, but the buyer has to go to the bank to be able to afford the $70 million. So the, the debt on that land ratchets up and up and up. So when the developer pays 70 million for the block that was previously worth seven, just because of the rezoning, it's now 70. The developer borrows from the bank. Hopefully he'll build an industrial park or he'll build 20, 30 units or perhaps a big huge um, tower block. He borrows money, hopefully makes a profit, pays some of the loan back, but the people, the end user, you and me, or the warehouse guy, the owner, has to borrow from the bank to buy the end product. So by the end, the debt has ratcheted up completely on the land value. Now that brings in a real estate cycle. My study in the book I did seems to reveal an approximate 18 to 20 year cycle. And we're not, we're not going to go there today. But that is the process, that's why we get a cycle. So we end up with the situation where we go to war. And so I'll just read you, this comes from, um, this is this part of the bidding war, it was published in the New Yorker in March. America's war in Afghanistan, which is now in its 15th year, presents a mystery. How could so much money, power and goodwill have achieved so little? Congress has appropriated almost $800 billion for military operations in Afghanistan, $113 billion has gone to reconstruction. More than was spent in, on the Marshall Plan in post-war Europe. One of the architects, David Petraeus, of the counterinsurgency strategy, encouraged the practice of pumping money into the economy of Afghanistan, where the per capita GDP at the time of the invasion was around $120. He believed that money had helped buy peace during his command of the American forces in Iraq. 
Employ money as a weapon system, he said. Money can be ammunition. The results of war is waged as much by for-profit companies as by the military. And on it goes. Um, to minim minimise casualties, the military outsourced any tasks that it could, maintenance, cooking, laundry, overland, logistics, even security. One result has been forms of corruption so extreme that the military has, in some cases, funded its own enemy. When um, the House Committee investigated the trucking system that supplied American forces, it found that the system had fueled a vast protection racket run by a shadowy network of war warlords, strongmen, commanders, corrupt Afghanistan officials, and perhaps others. Its report concluded that protection payments for safe passage are a significant potential source of funding for the Taliban. Like, hello? Does anybody care? I mean, nobody ever really seems to do anything. But the Americans pump money in, and it is, of course, it funds their enemies. I happen to think much of this is deliberate, but that's just my opinion. Of course, then you end up with dictators chasing the rent. Where's the best place to get the rent? The best place to get the rent is to go into government, obviously, because then you get control. Then you can eliminate your enemies, and so you get this absolute... Uh, total dictator in Turkey, Mr. Erdogan, is uh, launching, he's um, seizing all of the newspapers. If you write an article that he doesn't like, he puts you in prison. If he really doesn't like it, he shoots you. I mean, what are we to do? This is supposed to be a country that's been considered to join the EU, the European Union. Yes? And we've got the leader there that's just simply shooting his opponent that he doesn't like. Why is he doing this? Because it is, it is alleged, it's rumoured, that his son supplies a lot of the weapons to the Turkish fighters that are fighting uh, on the border and into Syria. If you trace the history of that back, we're now getting into 90 years, so a lot of this is time, so you can do some forecasting on it. It went back to 1924 when, when the whole Ottoman Empire was carved up to suit the English, the French and the Americans. And on it goes. Why did they carve it up? Because they wanted the oil. They want the red. Yes? So that's the system. That's what we've got. And that system originates because of locational value. The stuff you get that's over and above your eight hour week. The stuff you get because it's the best location. The rent because we have allowed a system where the rent privatises and it capitalises into a purchase price. That's the system we've got today. You're listening to Philip Anderson from businesscycles.biz presenting How to Simplify Government at Our Offices in North Melbourne, replay to you here on 3CR's Renegade Economists. What about the two things we tax today? We tax heavily labour and capital. The one thing we do not tax is land. I think when you understand why that is, you get to understand, you get to see the system pretty much. What about? What about if we just did a very simple thing? If we just decided to abolish all of the taxes on labour, get rid of all the taxes on capital, and we just simply place a tax on the land? Yes? Now, the reason why I'm going through this process, if it isn't clear already, because tonight's about getting rid of government, more particularly getting rid of politicians. The reason why I want to go through this process first and why understanding a land tax is so important 
is because once we go through that process, I'll show you then where we are with government and then I can show you what we can do with it. Yes? But I, I suspect for, many, for some of you in the audience, I suspect that it may not have occurred to you yet exactly just what a land tax would do. So what we have to understand, if we're going to get rid of all the taxes here, so no taxes on labour, no taxes on capital, and the only way we're going to fund government, because we assume at the moment that we're going to have the government, we're just going to shift the tax base onto resources as a more appropriate way of funding, perhaps one of a better thing is government activity. All right, at least what we expect government to deliver in the current paradigm. But it comes back to what, what, you have, what we have to understand about it all is earnings. Now stick with me here for a minute because this is, this is it's an essential five minutes for the whole talk, really. How do you know, if you want to buy some land or if you want to buy a business, let's say lady here or one of your wife runs a hair salon from the extension in the house and she decides she wants to sell. How do you decide what the business is worth to sell it? How does somebody else decide what they're going to pay for that business? The sellers of the big issue, they sorted that out pretty quick. How did they decide what a corner of, of what Burke and Swanston Street corner was worth? How did they decide what it was worth? Well, they decided by how much they were selling for a start. Then they decided what they would bid to get there. But even before that, they decided what it was worth. They decided what it was worth simply by shooting and by, by gun. Whoever got there first, then he had to stake out his claim. But there's a worth there. So let's get back to the business, the hair salon. How do you decide what you're going to sell that business for? Yes? Well, you have to work out generally what is done is how much that business, how much the haircutting was worth over a period of one year. And if over one year the owner of the salon cut enough hair to make $50,000 for the year, then you've got to decide, what am I going to buy in each decide, what am I going to pay for access to that earnings for one year? Now, it's the same in the stock market. So if, it's, if, the, business, if the buyer of that $50,000 business decides to pay 100k for the business. How long will it take for that new buyer to get their money back? Two years. So what, what economists and business valuation guys and accountants will tell you is the new buyer has paid two times earnings for the business. Now for hair salon that's generally about what people pay as an average. The stock market does this all the time. Every day it's valuing the businesses. So for example, if I was to, if I was to suggest to you, if you wanted to buy, now we'll try and keep this simple, I'll use, I'll use simple figures, if you wanted to buy Commonwealth Bank shares, now let's say Commonwealth Bank shares, it's issuing a dividend of a dollar per year. Issuing a dividend of one dollar per year. In other words, that's roughly its earnings. 
pays out most of its earnings. So we're just going to say that's the earnings for the year. If you buy Commonwealth Bank shares, if you pay $10 for one share, how long to get your money back? 10 years. So accountants would tell you, you've just paid 10 times earnings for the right to own one share of Commonwealth Bank. Now the, the stock market is doing this every single day. Now I can't tell you, I don't know the intricacies all the time of these things, but as a general rule, banks are valued somewhere around 8 to 12 times earnings. They sort of fluctuate a bit. A commercial enterprise or a Dick Smith, something like that, generally valued somewhere between 18 to 20 times earnings. Now, if you were to ask me why they value things that way, I can't tell you exactly why. There must be a reason, there must be a valid reason. I've never researched it properly, but the market tends to set these types of valuations. Now, of course, in the stock market, you need to follow that sometimes all the investors get scared for some particular reason. So they decide they're not going to pay $10, 10 times earnings for a Commonwealth Bank. Suddenly it's not worth that all of a sudden. So the buyers are prepared to accept eight times earnings. So the, the price of Commonwealth Bank shares has to go lower. And then there'll be people come in when the selling's overdone, there'll be somebody come in and say, well, I think that's cheap. It used to be 10 times earnings. Now it's seven times earnings. I'm going to buy Commonwealth Bank. So some stockbroker will issue a report to say Commonwealth Bank is now cheap. They ring up all their clients, get them to buy, and the price starts to go back up. So you get this, you tend to get these ups and downs in the stock market. Again, for some reason, the average long-run return on land is about 5%. So since the return is 5%, people over the years have generally been prepared when you buy land, generally it's about 14 to 20 times earnings, which is, which is about 5% yield. Yes, it will. I'm not going to go there today, but when you bring that in with interest rates and a bit of emotion and other things, clearly when people have got more money, they're going to bid more. If banks decide to be liberal with their lending policies, then if more people have got access to money, they're going to bid the price up. So you might only get 4 or 3%. But the price goes higher. Yes? Now we've understood, now we've understood earnings. Now I want to take you through the tax process. So for example, let's say Commonwealth Bank shares the earnings for the year, if you buy it, if you buy $1 per dip per share, but the earnings are about, well, what do they earn? About a billion dollars a year, is it? Let's just say five billion, whatever it is. Let's say the earnings are, let's, all right, let's say it's five billion. Let us say, and I've been through this process before, a little bit with some of you. Let us say that a fella called Karl Marx, suddenly, Karl Marx II, he gets into politics and it's his stated aim as a socialist or a communist. He says, and their belief is, that business should pay all the taxes. And by want of some amazing thing, enough people vote for it, he gets into politics 
and he puts into effect that tax. And he decides that he's going to put a tax on all corporate earnings. What happens to the earnings? They go downwards, yes? So the earnings, in theory, if he taxes the earnings at 100%, the earnings will go down to zero. Do people see that? What would happen to the share price? Go to zero. And it wouldn't be very popular either, I think, at this particular stage. But you see that process, yes? Okay. Let us go to the issue of land. Because believe it or not, nobody gets this. If you go outside this building today and you spoke to somebody in the streets about why land has a price, they couldn't tell you that's what somebody bids. But it isn't. It's quite scientific. Now let us just take the example to try and illustrate this for you because this is where it's really important. Go back to, the, to Canberra. We'll call that the ACT, which I'm drawing on the board, small section of the board, a little bit of history. The 1893 downturn worldwide, but especially in Australia, Argentina and the UK, we'll talk about Australia, the 1893 downturn was so severe that almost, I think, every bank in Australia except one was wiped out. So a lot of people, in those days you didn't have insurance, if the bank closed its doors and you couldn't get in, you lost your money, you lost your deposit, you lost everything. You had to start again. And this, of course, is one reason why it made downturns even worse than they probably should have been, because if banks folded, people lost their money. So you could imagine the savings you've got in a bank, just picture the bank right now closing its doors and you can't get your money back. What would you do? It would be disastrous. So the 1893 downturn was so severe. After that, the Australian politicians got together and when Canberra was, when the discussions of when the, the Australian states got together to form the Australian Federation, Around about 1900, 1901, the Australian politicians at that time, they were pretty pissed off with the system. From all sides, Labor and Liberal sides, they weren't Liberal, it was, it was sort of like a, a, you probably couldn't call them Conservative either, they were genuine Liberals, probably. And the left side, the Labor politicians, they weren't happy about the whole procedure and the downturn had been terrible. So it was decided in 1901, when Edmund, Edmund Barton spoke, and he was quoted in the newspapers of the day, he said that when we put Canberra together, we are not going to permit people in Canberra to buy and sell land. In other, what, the, what the politicians for Canberra decided was, you would have to lease your land that you wanted you leased it from the Commonwealth and it was decided that per year you would pay £50 a year to lease what you wanted because the price was initially set at £1,000. Can you see? I've got my maths right. 5%. Now, people... And this is what you've got to get that so few people understand. If that £50, which the Commonwealth Government said, if you want to settle in Canberra, if you want to do anything in Canberra, 
You can lease any plot you want that we've released. So they set aside a whole heap. You have to go there. You get title to that plot. You lease it for 99 years. It is yours to do with what you want, provided you pay up front every year £50. If you do that, what's the price of land? Yes, but the, that 20 times is being collected yearly in advance. What's the price of land? Zero. There isn't a price because the earnings, the earnings of the dollar is being collected every year in advance by the government. So there is no earnings to capitalise into a tradable price. That is a concept today that absolutely nobody can understand. Nobody can get it in their head that you could live in a society where the land price was zero. And that was Philip Anderson, the author of The Secret Life of Real Estate and Banking. Check out the show notes at earthsharing.org.au. Get in touch with us via Twitter at earthsharing. Thanks for all your feedback and see you next week here on 3CR's beloved public airwaves.